the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 talks about change. How you can change. How can we change deeply, really, inside of us? How can we change deeply and permanently? How can we become more integrated and whole instead of distracted and fragmented? How can we become braver and more courageous rather than being so insecure and so worried? How can we live with purpose and meaning in, instead of just plodding through with boredom and barrenness? Well, it's hard to believe, but it's all right here in Ephesians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul tells us that you can change. I can change. God has given us the resources that we need to actually change it. Not that it's easy. It will be a fight. In fact, uh, the last few paragraphs of Ephesians, we'll get there in a few weeks, Paul talks about putting on the full armor of God and how we have this fight, and it's not against flesh and blood. So it's not that change is easy, but it can happen because God has provided powerful resources for you and me to change. Let's read what Paul says, and then we'll work our way through it. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. One of my favorite passages, one of the most challenging passages, actually. Did you notice how Paul starts off? He says in verse 17, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Paul is adamant. Now that you've become a Christ follower, you've got to change. And Paul goes on to explain what he means. He says most Gentiles are are living futile lives. Now think about this. Who, what, who, does he, who is he referring to? Gentiles. 
No, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Well, normally the word Gentile was to refer to anybody who wasn't a Jew. From the Jewish perspective, you're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. And the Gentile covers everybody else out there. Romans, Greeks, Asians, Persians, whoever, they're, they're Gentiles. And now what's interesting is when Paul writes this letter to the church at Ephesus, it, it's in the western part of Turkey, and I've actually been there a couple of years ago. In fact, in a few weeks from now, we're going to be in Istanbul. Pray for us, the whole Turkey thing. Hopefully, it's going to go okay there. And, 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 and Paul's writing to the people in Ephesus, and guess what? They are Gentiles for the most part. Some of them are Jews who've come to believe in Jesus, but most of them are Gentiles. And he's saying, you Gentiles, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. It, it, it'd be like saying... Hey, you Americans who now believe in Jesus, you Americans must no longer live as the Americans do. And he goes on to explain that. He, he says most of the Gentiles, and we could say today, most Americans are futile in their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding. They're separated from the life of God due to the hardening of their hearts. Wow. That word futile means useless and empty, even silly. Paul, Paul's saying most people have their minds set on meaningless goals and they're using silly methods to get there. They're just thinking about life in all the wrong ways. They're darkened in their understanding. They're hardened in their hearts. They're driven by their desires. And Paul says everybody else around you might be living like this, but now that you know Jesus, you don't have to live that way anymore. In fact, you can't live that way anymore. And he goes on to give them a long list of new standards. We, this whole series has been called Welcome to the New. And Paul's talking about how we have a new identity in Christ, a new life in Christ, and a new community in Christ, and how everything's made new. And finally, he, he comes to, to this chapter and he talks about new standards. New standards. Just notice, we, we just read it beginning in verse 25. No, notice all these new standards, how we've got to change. He says, I want you to start, first of all, telling the truth. No, no, don't lie anymore. I want you to tell the truth. Verse 25, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to your neighbor. Then he says in verse 26, I don't want you to lose your temper anymore. You, you can have control over your temper. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. In verse 28, don't steal anymore. I, don't steal, but share. He says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Now, that's a change <laughs> when you go from, from being a thief to a philanthropist. When you go from being a taker to a giver, that's quite a change. And then, then he goes on in verse 29. He says, make your mouth a means of grace. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. In other words, you don't cuss, you don't swear, you don't go around gossiping and griping and tearing people down with your words. You are careful to let only let wholesome words come out of your mouth. Only what is able to build people up. That should be the only kind of words ever come out of your mouth. That's a big change especially for some of us, huh? In verse 30, he says, you can listen to the Spirit. You don't have to grieve Him. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do you realize that the Holy Spirit is a person? There's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And 
you, you and I can listen to the Holy Spirit. And when we don't listen to the Holy Spirit, we grieve Him. And He's sad. Oh, there goes Greg again. Not listening. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 31, he says, you can remove your negative emotion. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. See, you don't have to go around filled with turmoil, filled with all this negative emotion. Pause right now and just take a, just reflect. Most of the days this week, what was your emotional status? Negative or positive? Most of the words running through your mind about yourself, about others, about life, about your job, about your family, negative or positive? See, as a follower of Jesus, you can, you can get rid of that negative emotion. And then he, he says in verse 32, you can actually engender positive emotion. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So you can, you can experience positive emotion, a new kindness, a new love for people. Talk about change. I mean, my goodness, this is the kind of change you and I can experience when we're following Jesus. Now the question becomes how. How can we experience this deep kind of change? I mean, really. Is this real? Is, is this possible? And seriously, wouldn't you like more of this in your life? I know I would. But Paul says, yes, this is possible. This is what God wants for you. But how? How can we live this way? Well, Paul tells us. And so now let's get very practical here. Because my prayer for you today is before you leave, that when you leave here today, you, you can leave here with new hope for real change in your life. You can change. You really can. L look again what Paul says. Here's how we change. Beginning in verse 20. After he describes how the Gentiles live, he goes on to say, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Let me highlight three things that Paul says here. It, how you can change. Notice, first of all, he says that you were taught the truth that is in Jesus. If you and I want to really change, I mean have deep, permanent change in our lives, we've got to, first of all, face the truth. Face the truth. The truth that is in Jesus. Remember that, that movie a long time ago now, A Few Good Men? Remember when, when Jack Nicholson screamed to Tom Cruise and the people sitting there in the courtroom, you can't handle the truth. Wasn't that a great scene? And, and that, that has stuck with me. And I, I know we, we all remember that because it's true. <laughs> Oftentimes we can't handle the truth because sometimes the truth is just painful. And it's almost like, please, just lie to me a little bit because <laughs> I can't handle the truth. It's hard to face sometimes. The truth, Paul says, is we're futile in our thinking, we're darkened in our understanding, we're separated from the life of God because of the hardening of our hearts. 
And you see, you and I have a hard time with this. We, we, we say, especially our society, today, well, you know, I'm a good person. I, and I have a meaningful life. What do you mean I have a futile life? I, I'm, I, I have a meaningful life, and, 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 and I might not be that religious, but I, I think I believe in God. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I believe in God. Well, Paul says the truth is that without Christ, your life is futile. By the way, I looked it up, futile or futile. So, so your li- let's say futile. Your life is futile without Christ. You, the truth is without Christ, your life is empty and pointless. Your thinking, your understanding is darkened. You're separated from God. You're separated from the life of God. This is what Paul says in verse 18. Remember how he's put it earlier in in chapter 2? He says we're dead in our transgressions and sins, and we need God to make us alive in Christ. You see, Jesus Christ did not come to make bad people good. He, He didn't even come just to improve your life just for a little bit. Hopefully that's Jesus calling, okay? If it's Jesus, answer it. If it's no, if somebody else, don't answer it. So see, Jesus didn't come to just improve your life a little bit. Jesus came to make dead people alive. See, that's the truth. You and I are dead. Dead in transgressions and sins. Our hearts are darkened. Our minds are, are, are futile in their thinking. So face this truth. I know it's hard. But real change cannot come until you realize that you're separated from the life of God, darkened in your understanding, hardened heart that wants you to, it makes up all, your hardened heart has all kinds of excuses on why you should just keep on doing whatever it is you want to do. And until you face that truth, and you face the truth that Jesus is the only truth, the only way, the only life, until you face that truth, you're lost. Until you give up relying on your thinking, and on, on your own understanding, in your own heart, and realize that He's the only way, He's the only truth, He's the only life, until you face that truth, you're lost. And until you give up thinking that way, you won't change. You just won't change. Because until you realize He's God and you're not, you won't change. So face that truth. He's God and you're not. Your think, his thinking is perfect. Your thinking is futile and darkened. Face that truth. And it's hard. I mean, can you handle it? Can you really face that truth? And, and then, then, then once you face this truth, and th- this second point is the key thing I want you to get today. You and I, we need to keep killing, keep killing your worst self in order to become your best self. You need to kill your worst self in order to be your best self. Did it strike you how Paul puts it here? He says in verse 22, put off your old self. Put it off. Take it off. It's like an old set of clothes that have become dirty and ragged. You need to put off your old self, which has been corrupted in its deceitful desires. And and he says in verse 24, put on the new self. What's he saying? This, This idea, this theme runs throughout Paul's letters. Paul oftentimes talks about putting off and putting on. He talks about crucifying the sinful nature. Put to death the sinful nature. Put to death, crucify the evil desires within you. Now, this is what we do. This is what conversion is. 
This is especially and primarily at conversion. When we first come to Jesus, when you hear the truth that is in Jesus and you face that truth and you believe and you repent, that is you turn from your sin and you turn to Christ and you ask him into your life, that, that's, a, that's conversion, that's salvation, and that, that's putting off the old self, putting on the new. And this is how we become a Christian in the first place. Over in Romans 6, Paul says that when we are baptized, we're baptized with Christ into his death so that we may be raised to a new life. At the end of the second service today, we actually have a baptism. And what's fascinating, though, is that Paul tells us that we, we have to keep on doing this. It's not like you just do it once at conversion, at salvation, at your baptism, and then you forget about it the rest of your life. No, you need to keep dying to sin. You need to keep putting off your old self, keep putting on the new self. Why? Because even though we try to drown our old self in baptism, the rascal can swim. And you know that, don't you? The old self has a way of reviving and coming back. Even though we've crucified our old self, sinful self on the cross with Jesus, our old self is its like it's just quivering there and hanging there trying to get down off the cross. And sometimes it does. Just last Monday night, we had our softball tournament at, at Clintonwood Park. It was the end of the season, tournament time. And we took second place in the season, and we ended up taking second place in, in, in the finals in, in the tournament. And, uh, but it's like, it's like 10 o'clock at night. And, and I tell you what, if you, if you happen to remember, that night was a clear sky, and it was kind of cold out, and it was uh, a full moon. And I tell you what, man, it, there, there might, must be something to the full moon thing because people were lunatics. I mean, this softball game, and there are a bunch of teams there and all that, I mean, it was, just, it was just crazy lunacy. I don't have time to tell you all the crazy things that, that happened that evening, but the other team we were playing right before the finals, was, was they just got so out of control. We had a, an umpire who happened to be a woman, and she, in my opinion, like she was probably the best umpire we had all season. I thought she was doing a good job, but the other team... She, you know, there were some controversial calls, and the other team, they just, they just got so angry at her, the lady umpire, and, and they just started on her, calling her all kinds of names, and even cussing and swearing and dropping the F-bomb, and I mean, I mean, it just got so out of hand, it was unbelievable, and, and finally, she kicked one of them out. She, she just, just, just said, you're out of here, out of the park. And, you know, he goes cussing off, and, and he's standing over here, and then he has to actually leave the park. And then she threw another guy out. And then she, like, threw a third guy out. And, and I mean, it's just getting bizarre. And, and, and then the, some of the other guys, they won't shut up. They, they keep going on, and, 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 and they're cussing at her and whatever. Finally, she, the umpire, she starts crying, and she leaves the park. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And we had to wait a little bit while the other game finished, and the other umpire came over, and he finished our game. And, I mean, it was, it was just crazy. Here's my point. Here's a question for you. These same guys that were cussing and swearing and insulting this poor umpire so badly that she finally broke down crying and walked off the field, were they horrible, wicked, evil people? Well, maybe some of them were. I don't know. But my guess is most of them generally 
most of the time were probably pretty nice guys. Maybe, in fact, just maybe earlier that day, one of them actually did a wonderful kind deed for someone. Maybe one of them has a little sister, and he even took his little sister out for ice cream and was and treated her with such respect and such amazing kindness. Maybe one of them has a sick mother or even a grandmother, and he actually spends a lot of time caring for them. Maybe some of them are even Christians, and they just lost their cool. Here's my point. You and I, you and I, have tremendous potential to do great good or great harm. You do, and I do. It's not like you and I are 100% good or 100% bad. No, 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 we're a strange mixture. Paul calls it the old self and the new self. So what you need to do, Paul says, is you need to put off the old self. Put on the new self. Especially at conversion, when you first come to Christ, and that's a wonderful transformation where you put off the old and put on the new, and and, and you decide you're going to follow Jesus, and you're baptized, and, and that's a wonderful time of transformation and change. But then, every day, for the rest of your life, Maybe many times a day, you keep putting off the old self, crucifying the old self, nailing the old self to the cross, and putting on the new self and asking for new life in you. So here's Paul saying, you need to keep killing your worst self in order to be your best self. You need to get honest about that. You need to face the truth. Can you handle that truth? So think right now, what do you need to kill in your own life so that you can become your best self? Maybe it's certain desires that you've just been toying with and you've let them just kind of run away with you. And, and now you're enslaved to them. And because you and I have a hardened heart and we rationalize so easily, you could say, hey, man, I'm free. I, I, can do what, I can do whatever I want. You're not free. You're a slave to your desires. And you know it. And you need to kill that desire to become your best self. Are you willing to do that? Think about your life. Wouldn't it be great if you could stop lying to yourself? and others start telling the truth? If you didn't lose your temper, if you stopped stealing and actually started sharing, if you made your mouth a means of grace, if you listened to the Spirit rather than grieving Him, if you removed your negative emotion and engendered positive emotion, wouldn't your life be better, really? You say, yeah, Greg, I, I, I want that. I, I want to crucify the old self. I want to put off the old self and put on the new. But, but wow, that is hard. You're right, it's hard. It's tough. This is why Paul goes on to say you need to call on the Holy Spirit. So this is what you need to do. You need to call on the Holy Spirit. You see, you're not alone in trying to change. God has given us all kinds of resources. He's given us His community, His church, and He's also given us His Spirit, His presence. You remember what Paul has said so far about the Holy Spirit? 
in Ephesians. In chapter 1, verse 17, he says, I pray that, that God would give you a, the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. There's the Holy Spirit. He's the spirit of wisdom and revelation. You can have more wisdom. You can know more about God. In chapter 3, verse 16, he says, I'm praying that he will strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. You can have power by the Holy Spirit. He says in chapter 4, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So when the Holy Spirit is, is speaking to you, and, and you say, and into your spirit, and you go, yes, I will obey. I will listen, rather than grieving him. And in chapter 5, verse 18, he says, be filled with the Spirit. So you can say, Holy Spirit, come and fill me. Just fill me up so full with you that, that my emptiness goes away. And, and, and I stop trying to fill myself up with all these other things. Holy Spirit, give me wisdom. Give me revelation to know you better. Give me power to put off my old self and put on the new self. Give me courage to keep killing my worst self in order to become my best self. This is how we change.